Morning, everyone, again. As you can see, we're accelerating the front part of the service this morning because of the special events on the, in the latter part of the service. And this is an exciting day. I know for five people here and for their families and friends, but also for a pastor, it's an exciting day. Every opportunity you get, uh, most people would look down on getting wet going to church, <laughs> but to a pastor. And uh, I guess today I get, uh, I get baptized as a Baptist minister as well. <laughs> I've, been, I've been invited, elected, inducted, and today a baptism you actually, I don't know if you really become a Baptist pastor until you baptize someone. It's right there in the name. And of course, that's where I want to go in, in the message this morning. I've entitled it, Decision on the Bank of a Muddy River. And you'll know where that, where that goes to in Scripture in just, in just a moment. But as I reflected on today, I thought it must have been a, quite a moment in a carpenter shop in Nazareth. I wish I could have watched the scene when Jesus placed the tools of his trade the tools of his foster father Joseph back into their places for the final time. That moment happened. He would trade the familiarity of his home in Nazareth for a life, really, folks, as a homeless man. He would never again have a permanent place to lay his head. He would go from being the local carpenter to being the most loved and even the most hated man, as we saw last week. He went from building plows and yokes, things that would last maybe for a few agricultural seasons, to establishing a kingdom that would last eternally. Jesus' first destination after he left the carpenter shop, was south to a region of the Jordan where his cousin, a man named John the Baptist, was baptizing those that he was calling to repentance. Baptism was not an unfamiliar thing in this time, nor is it unfamiliar now. There was a fresh consciousness of sin and need that followed John's preaching. He was preparing the way for the, for the Messiah, John was the new Elijah, right down to his camel's hair sports coat and his rather bizarre lunch of fresh locusts in honey sauce. Probably a polite way of putting it. John said he came to prepare the way of the Lord, and Isaiah spoke about him and said that he would lay a straight path for him. Jesus was moving from the years of privacy to the years of publicity. He's about to assume the office he was sent to fill. John was his chosen ambassador, but only to lay the groundwork, and now John the Baptist will decrease, and Jesus Christ will in increase. And as we approach this morning's scripture from Matthew chapter 3, the king is on his way to the Jordan River to be declared. And verse 13 of chapter 3 reads like this. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. 
It was not a chance encounter, nor something that was unplanned. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Amen. Eighteen years had passed since a twelve-year-old boy had astounded the legal experts in the temple. When his parents came and found them, he told them that he must be about his father's business. Now on the banks of the Jordan River, the compelling force of the mission of Jesus Christ moves him towards John. This new prophet had been preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And later he would look upon Jesus as he sees him on the banks of the Jordan and says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. One of the strongest pieces of scripture you have ever grappled with and you see something occurring at these moments. Long before Peter's famous confession in Matthew 16, John had declared the Messiahship of Jesus. There were no teachings or miracles to convince John up to that point. Rather, this is prophetic. This is the Spirit inspiring a proclamation of the identity of Jesus Christ and also his mission. It may have actually been, some scholars say, the first time that these two young men would have met. When Jesus stepped into the waters of the Jordan, we need to recognize that he is not there for a baptism of repentance. Not like ours. Jesus is sinless. Was and is. And if that's not true, then his death could not have been the sacrifice that we celebrated last weekend. If that's not true, the gospel is a farce and we are all lost. Jesus was and is sinless. John had baptized multitudes of people. He turned no one away who had repented. For every person that John met to this point needed to repent. Yet when Jesus stood before him to be immersed in the Jordan, John balked a little bit. And something happened inside of him and he said, I can't do this. What a moment this was. And what, what we are witnessing as we reflect on it in Scripture is that the age of the prophets is about to give away to the age of the Messiah, to the age of the kingdom of God. Because with Jesus appearing at the Jordan, the kingdom is here. Jesus is bringing the freshness of a kingdom. What every prophet had longed for and what every prophet had predicted what every messianic prophecy there was pointed to this moment in time. When John looked into the eyes of his cousin, but also his king, he recognized that this person had no need of baptism whatsoever. And it had never happened in his experience of baptizing before. 
When I was baptized, it was not because I was sinless. I know that comes as a shock to, to all of you except my wife. <laughs> and I've baptized many people. And I've never baptized a sinless person. But when Jesus comes, John's own thoughts were for his personal unworthiness. John looks into the eyes of the Son of God and reflected, he sees his own standing before, before God. And Jesus had spoken of John and said, There is none greater born of women than John, John the Baptist. He's a man, the scripture tells us, who was filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb. But at that moment in time, he felt the acute sting of conviction upon his soul. And he stated, the order is reversed. I should not be baptizing you, but you should be baptizing me. And I trust that we have all experienced what John did at that moment. You see, whenever we enter the presence of God, we can't help but feel the awe and the majesty of being there. The realization of who God is tends to create a distance between us. And the, and the, on, and the unholy recognizes the holy and recognizes there's a huge gap there. No flesh can glory in the presence of God. And this rough prophet who rebuked religious leaders and called out, so, called out soldiers who told, that the, told them that the axe had been laid to the roots of the tree and that they were to live a different kind of life, he was pretty much scary person. Public enemy number one, easily he could have been. He rebuked kings in his time. But this rough prophet became instantly reverent in the place of Jesus and stood back and said, I can't do this. And the Spirit of God is really at work in this scene. What's happening is that the Spirit is testifying to John of the perfection and the whole, whole holiness of Christ. And John realizes that in the water for the first time is a sinless person. The first one who'd ever come to John for baptism who didn't need it. Jesus put aside the protests of John, told his cousin that this baptism must take place, to use his words, to fulfill all righteousness. But if the baptism of Jesus was not a baptism of repentance, what kind of baptism was it? And what transpired that day in the Jordan River was the sinless identifying with the sinner. That's what you're seeing there, folks. Isaiah presents the best prophetic illustration of this when he writes in chapter 53, and Ken read it for us as a part of the Easter readings last week, he was numbered with the transgression, with the transgressors. And our mind almost always goes to the cross. He's crucified between two thieves, and that's correct. But long before Jesus hung on the cross between the two that the King James Version calls malefactors, he identifies with sinless humanity, with sinful humanity, I'm sorry. In Jesus' baptism, as with his life and death, we see the king identifying with the deepest needs of his subjects. Because we could not stand in God's presence because of our own unrighteousness. The psalmist cried out, almost in woe, who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? There's no room for us there. 
You see, in Jesus, in Jesus' bap- baptism, he comes to open up a way so that our sin could be removed, and with the barrier gone, we can be clothed in the righteousness of Christ and stand justified, guiltless in the presence of God. Galatians on Wednesday night is taking us deeper into that whole understanding of that in our Bible study. And this is the fulfillment of righteousness that Jesus speaks about. It's also the beginning of what what, uh, Isaiah 53 calls the the travail of his soul. This will be Jesus' greatest work. It will carry him through his entire ministry, the work of his soul. Jesus' baptism is a prophetic picture of his death. The baptism of Jesus speaks of the consent to the task that lays ahead of him. When the days of public ministry were ended, there was a greater baptism coming for him. When a couple of power-hungry disciples remember the occasion, they approached Jesus for appointment to a high office in his kingdom. The wife of Zebedee, the mother of James and John, approached him and said, can my boys be with you at the end? Sit in the kingdom, one on your left hand and one on your right hand, as they thought were places of privilege. And Jesus asked them a question, a very difficult one. Are you able also to be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? And he's not talking about water baptism here. He's speaking of his passion, his atoning death. Because ahead of Christ, after he commits himself to identifying with the sinner, is the cause of lost humanity. Baptism brings him to that moment. Because baptism becomes the pledge that this is the pathway he's taking. Just as going through waters of baptism for a candidate today is also a pledge that I will walk in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. I follow him today in baptism. I will follow him in life. Truth is, folks, there have always been sinners on the banks of the Jordan. Sometimes my, if my friends on the hockey team tease me a little bit but why I hang, hang around with them. See, what are you doing? What's a minister doing hanging around with us? And sometimes I don't have a really good answer for that. But more times I do. And one day I told them, you know, you guys are good for me. And it got them feeling kind of good. Why is that, Cal? Why do you hang around with us? I said, because you remind me that I've got job security. (laughs) You see, the world today is full of sin and, and sinners. It's not a light thing. And there are times when the burden is a lot heavier than what I just reflected. But in the scene at the Jordan River, what Jesus is doing is giving... Solemn consent. It's pictured in his baptism. He accepts the mission. Because baptism looks like something else. It's used as an object lesson. He will die and be buried. That he might rescue the transgressors he's numbered among. And today when the candidates are immersed 
at the conclusion of this sermon, they are reaping the benefits of Jesus' consent to a baptism of suffering and death. And again, the words of Isaiah ring, ring true. My righteous servant will justify many. And so we see a picture of his passion in baptism today. Summon perhaps all of the candidates of friends and family members in the service. I know that I've seen parents so thrilled to watch their children take their stand. Pastors are excited to watch converts declare their intentions to follow Christ and to do so publicly. And people will rejoice with you after that. We've, we've got a cake downstairs and we're going to, we're going to fellowship for a few, uh, few moments. See, the baptism of Jesus was just not recorded by the writers of the four, four Gospels. But sometimes I feel that heaven was stilled as Jesus stepped into the waters. They know redemption's plan and glory. And here's a public declaration on earth that is going to change the course of all human life from that time forward. And Jesus serves notice to earth and to heaven that he would totally fulfill what he began as the Father's business. He's about it. When the act was accomplished and a dripping wet Christ arose from the Jordan, there were recorded manifestations of heavenly origin. And another act in the drama of, of redemption is on underway. In the days ahead, Jesus would announce the kingdom. He'd teach the principles of the kingdom. He'd show the benefits of the kingdom through the kind of miracles he did. And he'd illustrate his kingship in so many ways that so many people miss. But teachings, you see, alone won't change hearts. Miracles cannot redeem us. Only the atoning death of Jesus Christ could do that. And baptism expresses his intent to, be, to, be, to die and to be buried. To go all the way to the cross and to accomplish what it means. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John speak of the heavens being opened. The Spirit descending like a dove upon Jesus. They record that God spoke on the occasion and confirmed Jesus as his beloved Son. God announced his pleasure at Jesus' willingness to give his life. And I can tell you today that there is pleasure in the throne room of God at people who follow him through waters of baptism as well. God's blessing is richly upon what we are about today. Folks, this is the reality that is symbolized in water baptism for us. Here's the most doctrinal part of this message this morning. We declare by stepping into the water that we are dead to what we used to be. It is the picture of what happens in redemption. At the moment we ask Jesus Christ to become our Savior and Lord of our lives... As we sang this morning, Jesus' blood washed away our sins. Going down into the water is a graphic physical symbol of, the, of, our, of our death and burial with him. Paul asked the Romans, Know ye not, chapter 6 and verse 3, that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. You see, if the symbolism ended there, Baptism wouldn't be all that exciting. It would be like a farmer planting seed in the ground and nothing ever growing up. The act of planting shows a confidence that there will be a future harvest. 
And here's where water baptism takes on a glory all of its own. John baptized Jesus. He put him under the water and he brought him up again. And in that rising from the water comes the assurance that as surely as we die with Christ and are buried, we will be raised with him. Would someone say amen again? Thank you. Let's make one fact sure. The bruised and broken body that the two disciples, Joseph and Nicodemus, placed in the tomb was not the same body that came out of the tomb. Jesus was raised with a glorified body. He was raised with an eternal, incorruptible body. And that means two things for us. You see, first of all, when we arise out of the water, we walk in newness of life. When we meet Christ, He changes us. Baptism in water gives us a portrait of what that change is like. I've never met a person genuinely saved by the power of God who was not a changed person. And when I meet someone who shows no change whatsoever, I seriously am compelled to doubt the depth of that commitment. Paul again said to the Romans, chapter 6 and verse 4, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Jesus changes us into new people when we accept him, and water baptism is my public statement to the world that I am no longer the man, woman, or child that I used to be. It's so often said about baptism, but it's very true. It is the outward symbol of an inward reality. And secondly, as surely as Jesus suffered a baptism of death, he was raised by the power of God. And the promise goes to every believer today that because I live, you shall live also. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is God's vindication of the fact that he is the Son of God and he is the eternal Savior of the world. It's my guarantee as well. What happens in baptism becomes the picture of my guarantee that I shall be raised from the dead if I die before his coming. Or if I'm here when he returns, sometimes, some days that sounds like a good thing, sometimes it doesn't. My body is going to be changed and made like his so that I can enjoy his presence for eternity. You are not going to be the same person you are today. And as you get older, that becomes really good news. Paul spoke at length about the change that takes place at the coming of Jesus Christ. Because we're seeing it. We're seeing the change that's prefigured in in baptism. You see, today those who are baptized will arise to walk in newness of life in this world. Yes, it's already happened when they accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior and he washed their sins away. But now we're showing a picture of that today. We're doing it because Jesus, Jesus did it. We're doing it because... It's one of the ordinances of the church that we follow along with communion. But at the coming of Jesus Christ, we'll experience the the consummation of salvation. The final act in one sense. The limitations that we experience will be removed and we shall be made like him. Our bodies will be like his body. 
Water baptism points me forward to that glorious day. Here's what Paul told the Corinthians in chapter 15 of the first epistle, beginning at verse 51. Familiar words often only used at funerals. Let's rescue them from that time and put them in the realm of life where they actually belong. Because these Corinthian Christians thought that the resurrection had already occurred and that their loved ones were somehow unaccounted for. And Paul says this, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. This is for us as believers. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, this is last Sunday's work, but it's every Sunday's work for a Christian. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? gives us a fresh perspective on our future. When Jesus stepped into the waters of the Jordan, he committed himself to a day when the waters of death would close over his head. Gospel writers said he breathed his last, talking about the cross. He committed himself to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself, but death was not able to hold him. He was raised incorruptible by the power of God and ever lives to make intercession for us. Today, when the candidates are baptized, here's my solemn promise. And here's the imagery of it. You have already been saved by the power of God and you're providing testimony to your baptism, to your, to your sal- salvation by your, ba- by your baptism today. Here's what we do. We allow a candidate to be, to be placed under the water, but not for long. Good news for the five. Not for long. Being done for a purpose, but not for long. And likewise, you're brought back up to the surface again. Have you essentially changed that moment? No, no, no. We're looking at a photograph. We're looking at a picture of what really has happened in the spiritual world, in the spiritual life of that person. They've been buried in baptism with Christ and are raised again to walk in newness of life. Is a picture of our commitment to him. When the baptism of Jesus was over, he committed to redeem us. Don't worry about David, he's gone to make sure it's warm enough for you. (laughs) Not in the congregation. So I know that some of you who are being baptized may be a little concerned about the temperature of the water. David is the temperature expert here. What Jesus commits himself to, he accomplished. And we are the beneficiaries of it today. The reality of being baptized in water is exciting. We're looking at it today freshly, but a greater A greater reality awaits us at his coming, and I'm asking you to be encouraged to hold fast to profession that you make today. One thought that I want to conclude with from the Apostle Paul 
Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4. Wonderful expression. 4, 5, and 6, actually. There was one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is a wonderful moment in the life of every Christian. And I trust that we feel the, we feel the waves of the glory of the moment and, and see that what Christ led us through has powerful meaning for the life of every Christian. If you've made up your mind today to be baptized and you're beyond the five, then we're going to do this again, as far as I can tell now, in October. And I can help you answer any questions that you have and get you ready for this in just, a, just after the summer is over. Or if you're insistent and want to be baptized sooner than that, I'll be glad to work with you on that. I said I'd like to keep the tank full, but I know that impurities of water and things like that might cause a problem that was pointed out to me today that you wouldn't want to baptize people in stagnant water, especially stuff that you've been standing in for long periods of time. Can we bow for a moment in prayer? And as we do, the candidates for baptism are dismissed to the lower auditorium. So you folks may go and prepare all five of you. And I'll join you there in just, a, in just a few moments. Music team is going to come back as well. They're going to lead us in a song as we, as we prepare our hearts. But first, let's pray for those who've gone downstairs this morning. And pray that as we meet in the, in the baptismal area in just a few moments, that this will certainly be for them what it's intended to be. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the, for the ways that you've given us to communicate commitment to you. And this is a major one for those who have, who have begun to do this. It's so public. It's so graphic. It puts us inside of an element that we were not meant to live in. It prefigures your death and re resurrection and it points to the certainty of ours. And I pray that as we enjoy this time as a, as a congregation, I pray that you will be blessed in what we do, that you will see our obedience. And may the smile of heaven be upon us as it was upon you on the day when you appeared before John so many years ago. So thank you. Strengthen those who are going for, ba going for baptism now. And allow us to rejoice in the goodness of your love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.